are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So the band comes up, and uh, we love it, and then the old guy comes up later, right? Man, beginning to feel my age here. So a guy, a friend of mine, sent me this um, email the other day, and he had attached a video. He says, I don't know if you've seen it, but I think you might like it. And so I clicked on the link, and uh, when I did, uh, there was an ad being played first. And so during the ad, I'm looking over on the right side at other videos. And because of the nature of the sermon this morning, I clicked on a video after I watched this one that said, Top 20 Richest Pastors in the World. Just because I was curious. And so, like number 20 said his net worth was like four or five million bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'm not shocked because some of these guys kind of get into marketing and they're television people and, and, and yeah, they can be into some big money, you know, but, but then it like escalated. And some of them were worth like 25 million. Going, really? You're a preacher, you're a pastor, and your net worth is 25 million, but then it really jumps from there to like some of them were worth 80 million. And I'm thinking, apparently I have missed something in my journey, okay, in this whole ministry thing. But then it kept jumping to where some of them were worth over $100 million, and the top two were worth like $150 million. Now, I'm not naming names. You can look it up after the service, please, if you don't mind. But I'm thinking, wow, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, and your net worth is $150 million million dollars. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, wow, you have a lot of responsibility if you have that much money. Because the Bible says that if you have wealth, you have lots of responsibility. Here's the problem. You want to know what the problem is? I can't hear you. Do you want to know what the problem is? Okay, here's the problem. The Bible never says how much wealth. It never says how much money. It never says how rich. It just says if you are, you've got responsibilities. So the person who lives in a third world country and lives, exists on $2.50 a day or less, and that's about half the population of the world, who lives on $2.50 a day or less, they look at my life and you know what they say? Wow. Rick's got a lot of money. And according to the Bible, he has a lot of responsibility. Because Rick is really rich. And they would say the same thing about you. And so we've been working through this book of James. And so where we are today in the book of James is where James talks about, you know, wealth. And he begins to sound like a prophet in the Old Testament like warnings and then judgment is coming and and he and he sounds like this hey hey you know what if you really knew what was about to happen in your life you would be over in the corner of the room on the floor curled up in a fetal position crying and weeping and wailing because God's judgment is coming on you I know sounds strong doesn't it let me show you the words here's what he says exactly look here you rich people see I don't even like that line you rich people Because if you call me rich and I admit I'm rich, then it's like I probably should be willing to share, right? Look here, you rich people. 
weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. And so I don't know about you, but I don't know that you want me to read anymore, right? I mean, maybe you're going like, no, I got the idea. You can stop there. And, and I've got a feeling that this morning during the sermon that uh, it's very likely that you're going to feel some anxiety about money. And you're probably going to uh, go through a few moments where you feel like I've got more questions than I have answers. Rick, all you're doing is just creating more questions in my head and I don't have answers for them. And I've got a feeling that maybe somebody already is saying, you know what I really don't want to do? I really don't want to go to church on a Sunday morning and be made to feel guilty because I was born in the United States of America and therefore I'm wealthy. Okay, shoot me. Is it my fault that I was born here, that I happen to be wealthy? Because all of us are. And, and let me just kind of say, time out, pause, okay? Let me, let me make sure that you understand some things that James is not going to say. Okay, here's what he is not going to say. He does not condemn wealth. He doesn't say, because you're wealthy, you're in trouble, all right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say that you should never save money. He doesn't say that either, okay? What he does say is this. He condemns the hoarding of wealth. Uh, all right, so how much is hoarding? Like what kind of number are we looking at here? I know, see? I mean, that's where it gets hard, right? That's what I mean by you end up with more questions and you have answers for it. I don't, I don't know how much, but I wonder how much. How much is hoarding? And the other thing that he condemns is he condemns greed. Do you know what greed is? Greed is a selfish desire for more. He condemns greed as it leads to injustice. And the other thing that he condemns is irresponsible luxury. So how much luxury becomes, you know, crosses the line and it becomes irresponsible, right? See, there you go again. It's like... I start stacking up all these questions I don't know how to answer. So James does not condemn wealth just because you're wealthy. He's not saying you got issues, you're in trouble. What he condemns is the hoarding of wealth, greed, and irresponsible luxury. So I think here's all you can do this morning, okay? This is, this is all you can do with this. Is that you simply ask yourself a question. And the question that you ask yourself is this. At what point am I guilty? See, I think that's the question. I, I, th I think what you do is you just say, it. at what point, God, I'm going to open my heart here. Hey, Rick, don't back off, okay? We need to hear this stuff. I mean, you're our pastor, and somebody's got to be honest. Somebody's got to tell us this stuff, okay? So don't, don't back off, okay? But I think in this moment, what I'm going to do, pastor, is I'm going to listen to the sermon, and, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to ask God to search my heart. Okay, so here's here are the words of James. So look here, you rich people weep and groan with anguish because of all the troubles ahead of you. Now, the question is, who are the rich people? Because when James addresses his letter, who does he write it to? Remember the 12 tribes who are scattered among the nations. You remember the issue is that these people became Jesus followers and then in Jerusalem, things started to heat up and there was persecution breaking out, right? And during this persecution, 
it's like bad and they have to flee for their lives. They become refugees. And we've talked about their poverty, but there were probably some that had money. Is he talking to that few amount of people that have money? Most people say, I don't think so. The most common belief is that he was talking to the landowners of society who were greedy and were irresponsible in their luxury and who did not care about the plight of the poor. Okay? And so he goes on, your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. He's, he's again talking like a prophet in the present tense, meaning this is what will happen. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and we know that gold and silver don't corrode, but what he's trying to say is all wealth is temporary. And even the very wealth you were counting on. I mean, is there anybody in here say, yeah, I'm counting on it. I'll, I'll admit it. I've pretty much got my hope in my money. Even the wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you. In, in God's court, they're going to call a witness, and the witness is your own wealth, and your own wealth is going to testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen... Hear the cries of the field worker whom you have cheated of their pay. That's the injustice. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears. This is an interesting title. The Lord of Heaven's Armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying every desire, every lust, everything you've wanted. You've fattened yourself. Look at this image for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So how are you feeling about the Scripture today? It's tough, isn't it? And let me just tell you that I've been on a journey this weekend. It's been hard. I have tried to look at every facet of my life and my wealth. And I've asked God to speak clearly to my heart this past week. Did you ever hear the old joke about the guy who was very wealthy and he was very attached to his money and he loved money more than he loved anything else in the world and he finally says to his wife near his death, you've got to make me a promise, I can never be separated from my money. When I die, you've got to put my money in a shoebox and put it in the casket with me. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. And finally he just keeps on and on and finally one day she just breaks and she gives him his word, okay, I'll put your money in the casket with you. And her friends are bewildered. Surely you did not make that promise. Yes, I made the promise and I have to keep it. And so the day of his funeral, the casket is open at the cemetery and before they close it, his wife hobbles up to the casket and lays a shoebox in the casket. They close it, lower it into the ground, put the dirt over it, and he's buried with that box. And her friend said, surely you didn't do it. And she said, I had to keep my word. And she said, you put all of his money in a shoebox and you put it in the casket? She said, no. I put all of his money in bank account and I wrote him a check and put that in the box. <laughs> I like that. So 
I think what it says is that, you know, underline this idea, you, you can't take money with you when you leave. It underlines this idea that money is temporary and possessions are temporary. And, and you have them in this lifetime, but let me tell you something, you don't get to take them with you when you go. And that's why James says, I want to underline these words, your wealth is rotting away. And your fine clothes or moth-eaten rags. I mean, think about our lives. How do we see wealth? We see it in what we own, right? Land, cars, houses, in our clothing, in money. Your silver and your gold are corroded. He's just trying to simply say, you get it, right? That you don't take anything with you when you leave. And here's the bottom line. Why in the world would a guy stand up on a Sunday morning in a church like this and say to you, don't hoard wealth? And don't be greedy. And whatever you do, don't live irresponsibly in your luxury. Because none of that stuff lasts. It's temporary. And if you build your life on that, you will come to the end and have nothing. In the moment of your life, in your greatest need, you will have the goose egg. Zero. Nothing. And not only that, but James says, it will be the end of you. It will ruin you. It will demolish you. I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes I, I hang out with people who have a lot of money. So I don't, I, I, I don't mean I hang out with people who have you know, a little more money than I... I mean I hang out with people who have a lot of money. have a couple of friends who have a lot of money. And somehow, over the years of my life, I've always had these friendships with people who had a lot of money. So I'm going to confess something to you, okay? Sometimes, when I'm around people who have a lot more money than I have, I think to myself... Wow. They spend a lot of money. And then sometimes I think to myself, even if I had all the money they have, I don't know that I would spend as much money as they spend. I want to be clear, so I'm going to say it again. Sometimes I hang out with people who have a lot of money, a lot more than I have. And sometimes... When I'm hanging out with them, I think to myself, wow, they spend a lot of money. And even if I had as much money as they have, I don't know that I would spend as much money as they spend. You got it, right? Okay. Now lean in. Once in a while, somebody comes to visit me from a third world country that I met on a missions trip. Sometimes somebody comes to visit me that I met in a third world country on a missions trip. And they walk into my house and they ride in my cars and I take them to restaurants to eat. And I am convinced that they leave my home and they say to themselves, Wow, Rick spends a lot of money. And even if I had all of the money that Rick has, 
I don't think I would spend as much money as Rick spends. I am convinced that when they leave my house, they say, Wow, Rick has a lot of money and he spends a lot of money. And even if I had all the money that Rick had, I don't think I would spend the money that Rick spends. I read these words the other day. They're messing with me really bad. By a guy named Ron Snyder, he says, Christians in the United States, so I think he's probably talking to you, okay? He's talking to me. Christians in the United States live, did you know this, in the richest society in the history of the world. We are living right now, you and I as Christians, in the richest society in the history of the world. Now brace yourselves for the next six words, okay? But we are surrounded by a billion hungry neighbors. That's a lot of hungry people. The people who are living in the countries around us, one billion hungry people. But yet, Ron Snyder says, we, meaning Christians, insist on more and more. And he means we want more for ourselves. It just never seems to be enough. Do you ever like lay in bed at night and uh, and maybe drive down the road? Or do you ever like uh, in your quiet time with God, your one-on-one time with Him? Do you ever find yourself wondering why God talked? Rather, Jesus talked so much about how hard it is for a, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Do you ever just kind of think about that? We, we always get to this part of the sermon where we say, what are you going to do? What do you do? What do you do? I mean, I, I, I think the whole purpose of preaching is to say, so you're going to leave after a while. How do you leave and apply this to your life? Right? What are you going to do with this? Interestingly, the only to-do in the whole passage that I read to you is listen. That's, that's it. Look around. It's like James is saying, you know, with passion, do you realize what's going on around you? Do you have any idea what the world that you live in is really like? It's like he said, open your eyes. Listen. I'll just read you the words. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. You say, wait a minute, let me get this straight. So these, these are landowners, and they've got a lot of money, right? And they hire these people to work in their fields, that's correct. And then after they do this back-breaking work all day, then they say, yeah, I don't pay them. That happens sometimes. That's what he's talking about. Well, well, wait a minute. But they already have a lot of money, and they're making a lot of money. That's correct. And and what they pay these laborers is, is almost nothing, right? I mean, they're living in great poverty. That's true. Well, then why in the world would they not pay them? Because of greed. 
And greed always says, you got to have just a little bit more. How much do you want? Just a little bit more. How much is it going to take? It's just going to take a little bit more. And so you're telling me that these rich people would not pay a guy who worked in the back-breaking heat all day long. And in those days, you understand, wages for the, for the, for the earner, for the laborer, was so little that, 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 that they had nothing. And, and if you withheld their wages, it meant they didn't eat that day. And it was all because of greed. So, um, I... I think you get to this place where you say, uh, what, what, what do you do? And, and what in the world could I possibly do? And could I possibly make any difference at all? I mean, is there really anything that I, I could do that would really change anybody's life? I've got this friend who has money. Once in a while he'll call me and he'll say, I, I want to I give some money. And I'll say, okay. And he'll say, um, I want some kids to eat over the next few weeks who normally wouldn't get to eat somewhere in the world. And that's kind of like a mission he puts me on. You say, Rick, I don't, I don't have that kind of money. I can't just lay out several thousands of dollars for you to go find some kids to feed. I think John, John Wesley, who we look up to as Nazarenes, he, he gave us some good advice. He said, I think, I think this is a good pattern. He said, gain all you can. You know what he means by that, right? He means earn all you can. Yeah. Go get it. And, and then he says, save all you can. You don't want to misunderstand that. He doesn't mean just store up barns full of money. He means be frugal. Spend carefully. Okay. So you can give all you can. I'm glad you're writing it down. I think it's good. So uh, you remember the story of the guy who goes on his first missions trip to Haiti, and he and he goes in ahead of the. Uh, the rest of his team for travel reasons. I don't remember what it was, but he gets to his hotel on the first night and he's hungry because he's traveled all day and so he goes down to the restaurant of the hotel in Port-au-Prince to order something to eat and so they seat him at a table beside a window and finally when his food comes, as, minute, as soon as it hits the table, the minute it hits the table, all of a sudden in the window there appear many hungry, malnourished Haitian children and they're peering in the window they're looking at the food they're looking at him they're looking back at the food they're looking back at him they're looking at the food lots of them and when the server realizes what's happening she walks over and she pulls down the blind to blind him from the hungry children inches away from him and she says I'm so sorry I failed to do that and then she says to him enjoy your food And he said, I'm thinking to myself, really? Did, did she just tell me to enjoy my food? Did she just say that I should now, like, in, enjoy my food? Are you serious? You want me to enjoy, you want me to enjoy my food? 
he said, I sat there and finally I just asked for a box. I put all the food in the box and I walked out of the restaurant after paying onto the street and the first child that I met eye contact with, I just kind of pushed the box toward him like offering, would you want this? And he said, what happened next was in the blink of an eye. Children came from every direction, fists, hands grabbing fistfuls of food, and it was just over in a second. It was gone. The box was gone. Everything was gone. The kids were gone. It was just all gone. What's, what's this whole conversation that James brings up about judgment? What, where's he going with that? I think he's talking about a person who has the ability to say, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy this with no regard for what everybody else in the world is living like. In fact, I'll give you his words again. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of Heaven's armies. Look at this title. The Lord of Heaven's armies. There's not a nicer way to say this. Okay, I'm going to say it now. But there's not a nice way to say it. God Himself is going to war against people who hoard money and who are greedy to the point of injustice and who live in irresponsible luxury. There's no better way to say it. There it is. The Lord of Heaven's armies is declaring battle. And so when you open the Bible of the Old Testament and you read the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, this is their conversation. They constantly accuse rich people of living in the lap of luxury and just enjoying everything you can enjoy with no regard for the plight of the poor while people around them are suffering and they don't care. And he often talks to the religious people. You can't wait for the Sabbath to be over so you can go back and be dishonest with your scales and your measures and you pay people very little money to work in your fields And finally the prophets just say, God will never forget your wickedness. It's it's strong stuff. And so James continues, you've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying every desire. He's talking here about just every lust, every craving, every desire of every sense that you have. You just it's it's like you rich people gorge yourself while Poor people die of starvation. That's the idea. And he says, but here's the deal. You have fattened yourselves for the day. My grandpa raised pigs when I was a kid. And before we slaughtered them, he would fatten them. I mean, they were eating like crazy. And he says, that's what you're doing. You're just fattening yourselves for the day of slaughter. You get to choose. I get to choose. Everybody in the room is getting to choose. Nobody's left out. You get to. You get to choose whether or not you'll hoard wealth. You get to choose whether or not you will be greedy to the point of injustice. You get to choose whether or not you will be irresponsible in your luxury. You get to choose. It's a path. But every path you choose has a very predictable destination. And James is saying, if you choose one of those three paths, 
then you're choosing its end. And its end is the judgment of God. God doesn't forget. I told you, this is hard. This is a really hard sermon. Don't, don't you feel any anxiety? Aren't you at a place of going, wow, i got more questions than I have answers. I don't love coming to church and being made to feel guilty because I happen to be born in America, okay? Is that somehow my fault? Did I cause it? You see what I'm saying? There's this theory of some that the last verse, you've killed the innocent, is referring to Jesus. And others say, no, it's the landowners who didn't pay the workers and so people died as a result of it. It's still Jesus. In Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about feeding people who are poor, he says, if you did not do it unto me, my brothers, you did not do it for me. It's Jesus. The hungry child is Jesus. The suffering poor, that's Jesus. So I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. My, uh, my memories go back to when I was a kid. Did I ever mention I grew up in a small Kentucky town? And uh, went to church on a Wednesday night because my mom and dad made sure we were there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And the pastor would often do this. He would often say, would anybody like to stand and publicly declare God's goodness? Anybody want to testify to God's love, grace, provision? And so people would. They'd pop up over here and say something. Another would pop up. Another one. I need to testify that God is good, somebody would say. And that would happen all over the room. And I remember this one in particular. Her name was Nancy. She was a single lady who lived in a small house out in the country. And while she was at work one day, her house burned to the ground. I mean, it burned all the way down. And she wanted to thank God for the way he had provided for her and taken care of her after her house had burned a week ago. And then she said something that I think about pretty often. She said, and I was a kid, she said... The only things that we saved in the fire were the things I had given away. Wow. The, the, the only things that were saved in the fire were the things I had given away. And sometimes I wonder when, when we die, like when... I don't know what that's going to be like, but when you finally realize, whoa, I'm dead. You know? I, I wonder how we're going to think about savings then. You with me? I see, what do I have saved at this point? It's not going to be about the bank account, is it? And so when you preach, you often have goals in mind and you pray. I often pray, God, would you help today all of us to 
I, I think today what I've just hoped and prayed for is that somehow we would have this moment of truth where that we would say to ourselves, what am I doing? What, what am I thinking? I've been thinking a lot about Swaziland this last week. I have real relationships with people in that little country. I've been thinking about the Native Americans out in Arizona. I have real relationships with people out there. I've been thinking about people in Paraguay. And I just wondered if this morning, as we're gathered together, because I believe transformation happens in the context of community like this, if God would give us that moment of truth. And, and I can't tell you what to leave here and do. I really can't. I don't, I've, there's no way in the world I can say, you know what you should do? And, and you can't tell me what I should do. But boy, God can talk to us. And so maybe in these next couple of weeks, we will just, we'll just see the world differently. And see wealth differently. So maybe the best thing we can do now is just bow our heads together. Don't misunderstand me. If you want to come to the altar, you're always welcome. That's, that's never a problem. You can always do that. But, but could we bow our heads together and um, t- take a moment to pray something like this. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just search my heart? Would you speak to me? Would you listen to what I have to say to you? And could you just in these next few moments pray? It's it's probably the most important thing you'll do all day long today is this is these few moments in prayer. So just don't don't get robbed of them. Just hey Rick, it's been a while since I prayed. It's okay, pray now. Just talk to God from your heart. about what he has said to you this morning through his word and through his preacher. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.